Welcome to the Servants of Grace podcast hosted by Dave Jenkins. Our podcast exists to provide trustworthy expository messages through the Bible and faithful answers to your theology questions. Now for today's episode, let's join our host, Dave Jenkins. Well, all right, everybody. Welcome back to the Servants of Grace theology segment. My name is Dave, and I'm the host for this show. And today, one of our listeners writes in, and they have a great question. And the question is this. What does it mean that the Word of God is alive? Wow. I love this question. One of the great reformations of the Old Testament, it began by accident. Josiah, the young king of Judah, had ordered Hilkiah, the high priest, to make repairs on Jerusalem's dilapidated temple. Josiah seems to have been motivated by sincere religious devotion. He, he was bothered by how the rundown state of the building symbolized the nation's spiritual malaise. However, sprucing up the building could only offer surface improvements. But you see, inside the temple, workers found something that, that promised to do much more. Hilkiah informed Josiah's secretary noteworthy's news of the construction in 2 Kings 2.28, saying, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. Although this seemed to happen by accident, there was a great providence at work here. Josiah had sought to bless God by fixing the temple, and God blessed Josiah in return by placing in his hands the most powerful force in the world for reformation and renewal, hope and joy, peace and salvation. And the Lord had returned to Jerusalem that which had been lost, the very word of God. Josiah began reading the Bible the workers had found, and, and soon he tore his clothes. Lament what had been absent from Israel's life for so long. He gathered the godliest people around God's word to study it. And then he put into practice the things they read in Scripture. And the result was a renewal of the covenant with God and the restoration of the blessings that come through faith in him. And so what Josiah and Jerusalem learned so many years ago is something that, that godly men have been learning ever since. It's, it's a, what the, the apostle Peter wrote about in 1 Peter 1, 23 through 25. This view of the scripture, it features prominently in the letter of Hebrews. In the long exhortation that runs through chapters 3 and 4, the writer implores his readers to hold fast to their faith under hardship. And he boldly asserts that a failure to believe the message of Jesus Christ is to forfeit Forfeit the great salvation rest that God has offered. Consistently, he backs up such statements with the authority of the word of God from Psalm 95. In fact, Psalm 95 was written by King David about 1,000 years before the writing of Hebrews. Uh, David was also interested in exhorting his readers, and he did so by reflecting on the Exodus generation's unbelief, which had led to their destruction some 400 years earlier. And drawing on that example is what David wrote about in Psalm 95, 7 through 9. It is these words that the writer of Hebrews applies to his generation. In fact, in doing so, he assumes, in fact, indeed, he boldly asserts that the very words written by David not only have relevance, but they also have a 
authority over those who read them in their own time. In fact, these readers were experiencing the beginnings of persecution. Perhaps they were losing their jobs or even their property because of their faith in Christ. David's words are the very word of the living God. They're living and active today, and in them your destiny is bound up either through belief or unbelief. This is the point being summed up in the opening words from Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is living and active. How, how can this be? How, how can David's words, which after all are the words of a man, be living and active? And the reason is seen throughout Hebrews. They are the words of the living God. And and the words spoken through David and, and written down on paper are not first and foremost David's own words. They are the very word of God. Well, then we need to ask, how then is the Bible the word of God? The question was essential to the apostles, for they regarded the Old Testament writers as authoritative for their Readers, perhaps the best known statement is the one Paul made in Second Timothy three sixteen through seventeen. The words of the Bible are not the inspired words of men; they're the expired, outbreathed word from God's very mouth, given through them. And through his word, God teaches us, he rebukes us, he corrects us, he trains us in righteousness, he equips us for every good work. And so, when you come to God's word. In faith, when you open your heart and you open your mind to the teachings of Scripture, either as it's preached or in your reading of it, that word, that Scripture, it comes alive within you because it's sent by God himself for that very purpose. He lives and he acts in you through his living and abiding and active word. In fact, Paul gives this very clear description. He tells us that all Scripture is God's outbreathed word, but he doesn't tell us how this is so. Peter gives us more insight in 2 Peter 1, 20-21. By prophecy, Peter doesn't mean future prediction, but the whole prophetic revelation of God's teaching in Scripture. This is why we can say that the Word of God is living and active. We should read the Bible as God's Word to us. It's not merely relevant, it's authoritative, it's binding, it's for every phase and every uh, every part of our lives, just as it was for the original hearers, the original readers of it. It's timeless, it's living, it's precisely because it is the word of the eternal and living God. Now, the writer of Hebrews has more to tell us about God's word, continuing with explaining how, how it does its work. The image of the word as a sword is found in scriptures such as Ephesians 6.17 in Paul's description of the armor of God. In his vision of the exalted Lord Jesus, John tells us in Revelation 1.16, from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. So this image, it describes God's word penetrating or, or piercing power in Hebrews 4.12. The word penetrates against all opposition to grip the whole man and not just one aspect of his person. And furthermore, we're told what the word does once it gets inside. Verse 12 again of Hebrews 4 says, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. God's word comes into us. 
It discerns, it assesses our attitude towards the one who sent it. But when it accompanied by the Holy Spirit's regenerating work, it does more. It convicts us of a rebellion against God. It subdues us. It leads us as sheep to the good shepherd. This is how we are born again. We hear God speaking. We read in Scripture of the perfect demands of the law as well as God's sure judgment. We realize our peril. We surrender ourselves and fall before the Lord in conviction of sin. In fact, in Scripture, we learn of a Savior who has taken our sins away by dying and rising for us. And we race forward to embrace, worship, and follow the Lord Jesus. And the final point we discover in Hebrews 4.12 is the sufficiency of God's word, which means that it's for every phase and every part of our lives, for our every need in the things of faith and godliness and for our lives. In fact, we see this in Hebrews 4.12, where a comparison is made between God's word and worldly weapons. It's sharper the writer of Hebrews says, in any two-edged sword. And so not only is God's word a sword, but when compared with other weapons, it's sharper than any other weapon. Since God's word is living, it's active, it's effective in, in, in a way that no other weapon can be. And another evidence God's word is sufficient for our need is found in verse 13 of Hebrews 4. No creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. God's word is living. It's active. It penetrates. It probes. And nothing, nothing in the whole world can escape it. And so the writer of Hebrews even here compares God's word to God's eyes. It it uncovers every heart, every act, every intention, every thought, and every desire, and brings them before the penetrating eyes and gaze of God. In fact, consider the matter of Christian comfort. Do you sorrow or suffer? Are you tempted? Are you tried? Do you want assurance of salvation and the peace that comes with it? Then, Then turn to the Bible which speaks of a God who is sufficient for your salvation, who is able and willing to save you and to keep you. Finally, let me ask you this. Do you want to make a difference in this life for the Lord Jesus and for the kingdom of God? Then commit yourself to the word of God. Bring yourself into its life-changing light. Share it with the world by every means you can. This is what good and godly men and women have done throughout history. People like King Josiah recovered God's word and restored a whole nation uh, through it. For to his word God has assigned the great promise. It will not return without void. Therefore, any work that relies on God's word may be sure to have the blessing of God to achieve his purpose and to bring him glory even as it brings his power for salvation. Well, I want to thank you for listening or even watching this episode of the Servants of Grace Theology segment. Until next time, may the Lord richly bless you and keep you. Thank you for listening to the Servants of Grace podcast today. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, leave a rating on the app, and share our episode with your friends and family. If you'd like to, you can follow us on Instagram at Servants of Grace, on Twitter at Servants of Grace, or by searching Servants of Grace on Facebook. You can also find this podcast on the front page of our website at servantsofgrace.org.